Good morning, Door Creek. It's a beautiful fall day. Good to be together. Hey, if you're a guest, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. Glad that you're here. Welcome. And uh, we've just started off a new series through the Gospel of Luke, one of the four Gospels, and kind of going to be hanging out with Dr. Luke for the better part of the school year, with an exception of a study kind of in the new year as we uh, look ahead in the future. So last week as we began our study of Luke, we were introduced by Dr. Luke to two people. One was this Gentile, probably a younger believer, the recipient of the gospel. His name is Theophilus. His name means lover of God. And the other, um, kind of on the other side of the spectrum, been walking with God for a long time. He's a Jewish priest. His name is Zachariah. And both of them are kind of in the midst of the fight of faith, and that's one of the metaphors the Bible uses for a life of faith, is a fight. They're both wrestling with kind of the same question. How can I be sure it's true? For Theophilus, it was the things that he'd been told about the gospel, about Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. How can I be sure that that's true? He was lacking some certainty there. For Zechariah, His question was, how can I be sure that what the angel Gabriel told me is true? Because I'm an old man and my wife's really old. She has never been pregnant in her life and we are well beyond the childbearing years. How can I know that what you've told me is true, that Elizabeth's going to have a son? And so Luke says, I'm writing this letter to you, Theophilus, so that you can be certain that the things that you've been taught are true. I'm writing these things to help your faith be strong and sure for you to be confident in that. And as he starts out the gospel with that in mind, there are two things that we note relative to his starting points, what Theophilus needed and what we needed. The first was, Luke says, Theophilus, I want you to know what you're holding in your hands when you get to and start reading my gospel. I want you first to know that it falls in line with the other gospel accounts. This isn't some kind of fly-by-night, one-off, weird kind of thing where I was out in the desert and I was dehydrated and I had a vision and nobody else has ever said these things before. No, this is consistent with the other accounts. Not only that, you should know that's in keeping with what I've carefully investigated as I've met with and talked to the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection, namely the apostles. The guys who were the disciples now become the apostles. That word means the sent out ones with this message of God's love in Christ. And I want you to know, thirdly, that what I'm writing is consistent with the story in the Old Testament scriptures. What I'm trying to make a case for, like all the other New Testament writers, Luke says, is I'm making a case that Jesus of Nazareth is actually the promised, long-awaited king of the Old Testament. I want you to know that, that the accounts that I'm giving you are accounts that fulfill what God's been saying through the years, through his people, the prophets, specifically. The second thing he needed to hear was the story of Zechariah. Because that's where it goes after the introduction. The story of Zechariah is a man who's met by the angel Gabriel and told as he's offering incense this one time in his life in the holy place there in Jerusalem, the angel says, 
God's heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. And basically he says, I don't believe that's possible. I don't think it's going to happen. You've got to prove it to me. Give me a sign. And the angel says, well, I thought I was a pretty good sign from God that you might think that maybe this is true. But since you don't believe my sign of my presence, I stand in the presence of God, just have brought you this message from him. Here's the sign you're going to get. You're not going to be able to speak. You're actually not even going to be able to hear a word spoken until the baby's born. Your wife is going to have a child. And so it was a really important starting point. He's the only gospel writer that has this story included. And it was a story that was really important for Theophilus and us. And it's this, that God is faithful to his word even when we doubt it. And because he's faithful, we can trust him. So he moves from these two prominent men, most excellent Theophilus, a man of prominence, maybe a government official even, and this priest, hello, that's like a prominent man in Israel, a priest, and these guys who struggle with their faith now are, are introduced, were introduced, Theophilus is introduced to a young teenage girl, a peasant from up in Galilee, a town of Nazareth that we're going to learn wasn't a very distinguished place. And in the story of Mary, we're going to see this beautiful picture of what true faith looks like. Taking God at his word, obeying his commands, following his commands, submitting to God's will, and trusting his promises. So grab a Bible and we are going to be blessed as we go back to the very beginning of the Christmas story here at the end of September and meet up with Mary. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So as you're going there, what we want to remember is this. Mary is commended in two places for her faith. Look at verse 38. She says, having heard the message from Gabriel that you're going to have a son, he's actually going to be God's son. She says, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's that whole part of taking God at his word and following his commands today. Then in verse 45, God says through Elizabeth, her relative, these words of blessing spoken over Mary. Blessed is she, blessed is Mary, who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And what we're trying to figure out here today is, how does a teenage girl who's maybe 13, maybe 14, how does she get it when a priest, Zechariah, who'd been walking with God a long time, he didn't get it? Remember, I I surmise that one of the dynamics at work for Zechariah when he heard the angel Gabriel say, your prayer's been answered, you're going to have a son, is that he's been living with deep disappointment. This was a hard thing for him. This was, this whole thing that he and Elizabeth were childless actually called his faith, his piety, his priesthood, if you will, into question. Because here's the logic. Children are a gift from God. Zachariah and Elizabeth don't have any children. The reason they don't have any children is because they're not honoring God 
in their life and with their life. And that's why they're not experiencing the blessing of God. Because if they were living a life honoring to God, they would experience the blessing of God and they would have children, but they don't have any children. And that's a really interesting thing of how living with deep disappointment over time does just that, chips away, chips away. The broken dreams. The dreams we had for our marriage or for marriage, chipping away. They're not what we'd hoped for. They're not what we once had. Your health issue, the health issues of a loved one, chipping away these new realities that seemingly aren't going away, chipping away as we reflect on our career, so full of promise. And now it's like a resume, just we know behind the words, just a lot of disappointment, financial struggles, wondering if we're ever going to get to the other side of it, an addiction that just keeps killing us and destroying the relationships that are most precious to us, chipping away, chipping away. And, and, And so Theophilus needed to hear about God's faithfulness even when, Zechariah didn't believe it, that he might have a certain faith, a strong faith, and he presents to him and to us Mary, young Mary. Now, let's get into it. And in this first section, we're going to see that first part of following God today, what we hear about her in verse 38, and we're going to see all the beautiful ways God graciously provides for her and for us as we read this to help her get to that place. All right, so here's the story, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, same angel that met Zechariah in Jerusalem. Now we're 70 miles to the north. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. All right, a couple things on background. Nazareth. Nazareth reminds me of Gary, Indiana. Anybody here from Gary, Indiana? I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure it was a great place, but man, when we were going through Gary, we were just like cruising through there fast because there was something odorous about this very industrial city. And we didn't have a high esteem for a place like that. Sorry. Nazareth 
was the Gary, Indiana of the day. It's like nobody thought anything good could happen to Nazareth. In fact, listen to what was said about Nazareth in this region called Galilee. John 1.46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip, who was telling him, I've just met the Messiah, and he's Jesus of Nazareth. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Or how about this in John 7.41, another disciple. How can the Messiah, or would-be disciple, how can the Messiah, the promised Savior, this promised coming King, come from Galilee? He was looked down on. We should remember that. God chose that location to remind us of who he is and who he uses. He used a peasant girl from that place, a nobody from nowhere, a teenager, to do what is arguably the greatest task in history to bring the Son of God into this world. On this whole concept of being pledged to be married, real quick, it's like engagement, but it's more than engagement. So it was common, it was custom at that time. Um, It's going to sound weird, but 12-year-olds to 15-year-olds, that's still a practice in many parts of the world today, they would be pledged. There'd be a year of waiting at the pledging time where they're betrothed. They would come into this relationship of commitment towards each other. They've worked out the details of the dowry. And after a year's time, they would consummate and celebrate the wedding, the marriage, okay? What's different about our engagement is it wasn't just as simple as saying, you know what, I don't think this is the right thing. We're just breaking off this engagement, one of us or two of us together. No, actually to break a betrothal, a pledge of marriage would be to actually file divorce. In fact, that's what Matthew tells us Joseph is considering to do when he finds out his fiancée's pregnant and he knows he's not been intimate with her. It's not his child. The third thing, by way of background, is I'm so glad we're going through the Christmas story in the fall because some of us, we get too sentimental about Christmas. It's just full of warm fuzzies and we bring that to the story and we miss the scandal that's tangled in the Christmas story. So when she hears that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, that she's going to conceive, and and she finds out that it's going to be through the Spirit of God, not through a man, she understands, even though she may be only 12 or 13, that this is going to place her in the middle of the gossip mill. She's going to be the headline of the gossip tabloids. It's going to be scandalous for her as she goes into life right now, an unwed teenage mom. And we could likely miss that. It was scandalous. So how did Mary do it? what Zachariah couldn't do. And what did God in his grace bring to her that helped her keep God at his word, following his commands, what he wanted her to do, and trusting in in his promises. And the first thing that we note is he made it clear from the beginning that he loved her and was with her, that his favor was on her. We see it twice in the text. Look down at verse 28 and verse 30. All right? So we see it twice there. Greetings, you who are highly favored. 
Do not be afraid, verse 30, Mary. You have found favor. This is really important. That Mary would know when God's asking her to carry God's son, bring this child into this world at the expense of experiencing great shame, that she was not being asked to do this because she's done something wrong and God was punishing her. He loved her. Her life was finding favor with God. He promised to be with her as she was assigned this great impossible mission. That was really a big thing for Mary to hear. It's a big thing for us to remember. God loves us. Mary, God loves you. Huge. Now, when we talk about God's grace, let's keep two things in tension. One is, it's a free gift. It's undeserved. There isn't anything we do where God goes, yep, you got me. You won the free trip. I've got to reward you now with my favor. It's free. It's not connected to our performance. All right? On the other hand, though, the scripture says there's actually a way to live life before God in humility, where we walk in humility before God, loving him and loving others, that actually positions us to run into his grace more and more. So the first time we read about God's favor in the Bible, it is connected to a man named Noah, who we're told in, in Genesis 6 that he's a righteous man who found favor in God's eyes, unlike all the other people that constantly were doing evil, violent things. James chapter 4, verse 6, puts these two ideas of the free gift and then something that actually we can position ourselves to receive in this way. James says, but he, God, gives us more grace. That was true in Mary's life. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And so she's receiving grace because that's who God is. She's receiving grace because by the grace of God, she's living in humility. Not just humble circumstances, the peasant poor girl from nowhere, but she has a humble heart. She's got a soft heart to God. And we're going to see that in the verses to come. She needed to know that, that she's loved. God sees her. He's going to be with her. He is pleased with her. Second thing she needed to know is she was useful to God and what he was asking her to do, her story, was going to be connected and consistent with the greater story. That was really helpful. So when the angel starts telling her about this son, all of a sudden she realizes that she's connected to the bigger story. So when, when he talks about taking the throne of David, he's going to be a descendant of David, that may be just like, I don't know what that is. Well, for a young Jewish girl... She knew all about what that is because the Jews had their hopes. The people of God had their hopes on this coming king, especially at the time when Christ comes. They're under Roman oppression. Romans are walking around the streets, collecting their taxes, completely altering their life. 
This isn't the promised land. But this king, this descendant of David, he's going to come. The prophets have talked about it. Samuel writes about it in 2 Samuel 7. She knows about this when he's talking about a descendant of David who's going to sit on a throne forever and establish a forever kingdom. She's getting it. That, that God is asking her to bring this promised Savior into the world who is going to be nothing less than the Son of God, connecting her story to the greater story. That was a huge gift. It's a huge gift. God was gracious in answering your question, right? She asked the question, we might say at face value. Well, man, she asked the same question that Zechariah. Zechariah gets zapped. He can't speak and he can't hear until the baby's born. Mary asked the question, and what's the deal here? I think God's play. I think she's the teacher's pet. Why does she get off? Ah, it's a totally different question. Totally different motivation behind it. One functioning out of disbelief, Zechariah, who says, how can I be sure this is true? How can I be sure? Give me a sign. Prove it, God. I don't think it can happen. Mary's is very different. She's looking for understanding, not proof. She's going, I'm 13, 14, however old she is, 12, 15. I'm a virgin. How's this going to happen? I don't understand. How? Help me out with the how. Is it going to be through Joseph? It's going to happen through Joseph? How's this going to happen? God graciously entertains the question, and as he answers the question, we realize she didn't have the question in full. Because how he answers the how question, the details, is actually with a who. And basically, the, the answer is, I'm going to do it through my Holy Spirit. And as we're looking at all the details of the mystery of how does this work, how does a virgin conceive through the Holy Spirit? How does that work? Well, let me tell you how it's not worded in the New Testament. Like some of the mythology that would have been current in that day of, of a God having sexual relations with a human to have this divine child. Then give us that. We're looking for the how. She may have been looking for the hows and the details. And God says, you know, as you're confronted with this mystery, this miracle wrapped in a mystery, actually the key question is the who question. I'm going to do it. My ways are far beyond your ways, Mary, beyond finding out this is something that I'm going to do because I can bring life out of nothing. I can have a virgin conceive. And just so you know that you can have confidence that it can happen, I'm going to give you a sign. You didn't ask for a sign like Z did, but I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is your relative, probably his, her cousin, Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth, your older cousin, who's really old, well beyond bearing children's age, at the one who's never been able to conceive. She's pregnant. In fact, she's in her six months. I'm going to give you a sign. It's a beautiful thing. A sign. And then he says, and the reason, verse 37, the reason she's miraculously bearing new life within her is verse 37, because of this. I keep my word. No word from God will ever fail. And that ever fail has this word, this, this idea of God, there, there's nothing impossible for God. 
And actually, right now, there's a whole bunch of things that we would say, I, I, I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible for God to bring healing. I think it's impossible for God to restore a relationship. I think it's impossible for God to give me victory over this addiction. I think it's impossible for me to actually get in a place where I feel like I'm using all my strengths and gifts in a workplace and in a sweet spot. I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible because it's been chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And what did Jesus say to his disciples and to us? Matthew nineteen twenty six. With God, all things are possible. Say that to your neighbor. With God, all things are possible. She believed that. She believed that God loved her. That was really key. Don't miss that. If we don't believe he loves us, why am I going to place my life in his hands? And when we see the hands of God, we're always looking at Jesus' nail-pierced hands. Those are good hands. Those are powerful hands. She believed that the promise was a grace, not a punishment. She believed that all things were possible with God. She believed that he keeps his word. And she wondered in the face of the mystery when she could have done what Z did and say, I don't believe it. It's not possible. It just doesn't fit in my construct. But she embraced the mystery and embraced the greatness of God rather than jettisoning this great truth that with God, all things are possible. And she got to that place, beautiful place. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So let me just say this. We should bless Mary. We ought to be a people who bless Mary. There's nothing in Luke's account that is going to bring us to this place of worshiping Mary. But we ought to bless Mary. We ought to sing her praise. And we ought to take note that on the heels of her saying, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm surrendering to your will. May the words that you have for me, may they be accomplished in my life. And I realize it's going to be a tangled blessing along with some bitterness. That what God does in the text right here is he sings a song over Mary. And he sings the song through her cousin, Elizabeth, who lives 70 miles to the south. And that's where... The text goes, scene two here, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. At the time of when she heard from Gabriel, she's going to have a child, right? Where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, I'm thinking, remember, Zechariah said, you got a sign, you can't talk, you can't hear until John the Baptist is born. He's not born yet. She's in the sixth month. So if... She met Zachariah. He's still playing charades. This time with a big smile because Elizabeth is six months pregnant. It's a beautiful thing. So verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, not Elizabeth, the baby leaped in her womb, backflipped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I say God is singing over Mary as he 
fills her with the spirit to sing this song. And listen what she says. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, speaking of Mary, and blessed is the child you will bear, speaking of Jesus. But why am I so favored? Listen to this. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And what a song. And what a sign. She walks in. There's Elizabeth, six months pregnant. What is she thinking? What's the first thing she's thinking? It's true. It's true. He did it. The impossible. God keeps his word. And then what a gift is God sings over her through the spirit that's just actually giving Elizabeth the words to say. The spirit that's actually empowering the baby to worship the presence of now Jesus just in utero. Just small life being developed backflipping because remember what we learned in first chapter verse 15 that Zechariah was told by the angel Gabriel before your baby boy is born he'll be filled with the spirit that's what the spirit always does backflips over Jesus makes much of Jesus and then she hears these words of blessing now let's remember it so she just heard the angel Gabriel say this shockingly amazing impossible thing she's a virgin going to conceive the Messiah. Was there anybody else in the room? Does Luke say anybody else? No one else is in the room. She goes 70 miles. By the way, they didn't have Facebook back then. So she didn't say, Elizabeth, is it true? Or, oh, yeah, of course she's six months. But I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> this is not happening. She runs down. It's 70 miles away. And all of a sudden, she's hearing from Elizabeth words of blessing that are saying, what you just heard from Gabriel is what you're hearing through Elizabeth's spirit-filled mouth. And it's the same story. You're the most blessed of women. Your child is blessed. And your child, you are the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth says. Just so we get it. Elizabeth used those words in verse 25. Go back to verse 25. What does it say? The Lord has removed my disgrace. He's shown me favor as he's given me life, that which I've never been able to have. New life. He's kept his word. Every time we run across all 17 verses that have the word Lord in the first chapter of Luke's gospel, 17 times, every one of them a reference to God. I'm blessing the mother of of my Savior. This is huge. It's a great grace. She's, she's echoing what Mary's already heard. You're blessed. You're favored. You're loved. God has a great assignment for you. And he can do the impossible. What a gift. Now, does that mean that Mary got it? I don't really think she did fully get it. And I think that's part of the beauty of mystery is we don't fully get it because we're not God. And you know what? Let mystery bring you to that good place of remembering, I'm not God. I'm not supposed to get everything. 
I'm not God. Because, I mean, have you ever figured this out? That the things that we do understand, how many of those that are hard and wrong and need a fixing, how many of those actually that we do understand what's wrong, we find ourselves going, I can't fix that. I can't get to that place in that relationship. I can't reverse the cells that are going crazy. I don't know how to fix that virus that is affecting my loved one's health right now. I don't know how to fix it. I understand it. I I love that about mystery, bringing us to a God whose ways are higher than our ways. And Mary does that. But she doesn't fully get it. And here's why I know it's true. In chapter 2, verse 19, after the shepherds left, telling Mary and Joseph about what the angels had said to them about their son, that he really is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior for all people. It says she treasured these things. She's like, this is awesome. I'm going to scrapbook this in my mind. But it also said she pondered them. And the word ponder means to throw together. She's trying to throw it together. She's trying to piece it together. How does this fit? How does this work? And the reason I can tell you she doesn't have it clearly figured out, not only in chapter 2, is 30 years later when Jesus starts his public ministry, his family, including Mary, thinks he's gone nuts. And like they're coming to take him away because they think he needs a rest and maybe they can go find a shrink to help him sort it out. It's true. She doesn't fully get it, even though she gets enough about what God has said. And here's what she's crystal clear on, is who it is that's asking her to do this. What's he like? Because her song, so it goes from Elizabeth's song now to Mary's song. It's called the Magnifica, because that's the first word in the text here in the Latin translation, to magnify, to make great. So listen to the song. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant, speaking of herself. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Are you kidding me? She so believes this, that it is a done deal. In fact, everything she's talking about is written in past tense because she's so certain it's going to happen. See, do you hear what she's saying? From now on, this peasant girl will be the one that all generations and how many generations have come and gone in these last 2,000 years where Mary is still blessed and praised and called blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. It hasn't happened. She isn't holding the baby Jesus. She doesn't have proof in that way, but she has great faith in the future promised of God, believing that he's going to make it happen. Why does she have it? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she had a big view of God. That's really big. Not to have a big view just of the love of God, 
but of the power of God, of the mercy of God, of the faithfulness of God. And so she was just tuned into that. And she says, and he is the object of my praise. He is the source of my joy. He can do mighty deeds, scattering the proud, bringing down the rulers, lifting up the humble, filling the hungry, and sending the rich away empty. He can turn things around, upside down, right side up. And we got to note it, that he's a God who can take those of us who are secure in our wealth, in our possessions, and scatter us like dandelion seeds in the wind. He is the one who can take the rich who are full of all this stuff and send us away hungry because it just doesn't satisfy. He can take the one who is puffed up in their pride and deflate him like a balloon shriveling and squeaking. He can do that. And he can take the nobodies from nowhere and lift them up. Those who go through life wanting and hungry and satisfy them. Take a peasant girl from Nazareth, from where? And make her the most blessed of all women. And God in his grace gave Mary what she needed to take God at his word. He showed her that he loved her and he showed her that he was faithful to what he says and promises. And he's given that to you and me. So where are you at? Can you say right now, like Mary, I'm the Lord's servant? Or are you still trying to figure out how to get God to be your servant? Who do you want to serve who? Who's going to play God in your life? Are you believing that he loves you in a place where you go, God, I trust you and I'm going to place my life in your hand? Or are you in that place where I go, I don't know if I can, it's just too hard. And it's been hard for so long that I I don't really believe that you could turn it around. Keep your eye on Elizabeth. It was a long time coming for things to turn around, a long time coming. God was always faithful to Elizabeth, but didn't always feel that way for her. I, I think it's really important that we don't con- miss the connection of the word of God in this story of her faith. She needed to hear God's word through the angel. She needed to hear God's word sung through Elizabeth. She needed to hear God's word to remind her of who God is and what he can do. We need to be in the word. We need to be in the word. This is the most important book full of God's truth that reminds us of who he is and what he's capable of and what it looks like to take him at his word and why we can do that, to remind us that we are loved, that he's actually given us a sign, and it is the cross. It's this beautiful, powerful sign that reminds us God sent his son because he loved us. He loves us. He loves you. His grace is Grace upon grace through Christ. It has nothing to do with your past performance. And when you look back and go, oh man, 
She was pure in her life, and I haven't been pure. Maybe even this week haven't been pure. Maybe you've been back at the computer or back at that adult store or back in that affair. I don't know. And you get to this place and you go, God can never love me. And let me tell you, his love and his grace is not metered by our performance. That's the gospel. But our pride will keep him at arm's length saying, I don't need it. May we humble ourselves like Mary. We need to rethink how we think about our teenagers. This is profound. Here's an example of how the word changes life. This changes, this ought to change every parent of a teenager this week. Because right now, you're just trying to survive these years. And you know what? This is a time when God repeatedly has called people to do the extraordinary. Joseph was a teenager. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was a teenager. Mary was a teenager. God got a hold of my life and said, I want you to be a pastor when I was 13. And I think I forgot that. And I think we forget that. And we're just trying to help them survive. God uses teenagers to change the world. Do we, is that in our worldview? Is that how we're praying right now? Teenager, do you understand that your faith like Mary's can be a huge boost shot in the arm? It's like five-hour energy stuff. Never had it, but I I believe the commercials. I believe all the commercials. I mean, this is like, this is a huge thing. Because what you, what, what you need to understand is when it's hard, and it's been hard for a while, it chips away, it chips away, it chips away. And when we see your young, vibrant faith, abandoned faith because of who God is, not because of who you are, because of your faith in God, man, that's huge for us. We need to rethink that, reclaim that. We need to bring the power of blessing into our family, into our life groups. It was a huge thing when Elizabeth sung over Mary. She needed that song. And we need to hear these words from each other. God loves you. He's with you. He's faithful to his word. He wants to use you. His favor is on you, even though you don't feel it. He keeps his word. We're here with you. Huge. And we need to rethink wealth. Luke is going to keep coming back and coming back. And what I want us to fundamentally come with, away with as we go through the gospel is wealth, our wealth, and everybody listening to me seated here in this room on the world standard, We are all wealthy. Don't compare yourself to Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Compare yourself to a big portion of this world that lives on less than two bucks today. We're wealthy. And here's what I want us to build into our construct. Wealth is a liability. Wealth is a liability. Possession, all the things that we have, it is so easy for us to say, that's my functional God. That's where I find security. That's where I go for identity. That's where I go for happiness. I work it out there. And may we never forget that wealth 
can be a great blessing from God, but it is a great liability that it becomes the little gods of our life. We've got to rethink that, rethink that. And we better be laser sharp about the subtle nuances of pride. Did you hear what she says in verse 51? Scattering those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. God tears that all down. It locks us, bars us, dams off the flow of grace that he wants for us. And so, by his grace, may it be said of us, because of God's love and faithfulness, these are people who are every day taking God at his word. In the midst of all that's hard and seemingly impossible, they're believing in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we bless you for young Mary. And we bless you that you have given us the same things that Mary needed, your love and faithfulness. And like Proverbs 3 says, Lord, may your love and faithfulness wrap around us. May they be bound around our heart as we desire to live a life of faith. And Lord, for those of us that are struggling with mystery or struggling with that which is hard, we pray that you would help us to have our eyes wide open to your love. And may we believe that you always keep your word, even that which seems impossible. Christ's name we pray for his glory. Amen.